welcome to The Warm-Up, a MoMA PS1 podcast showcasing interviews between warm-up curators and a selection of artists from the 2016 lineup. For 19 years, MoMA PS1's warm-up series has brought together the best in experimental music, sound and DJs, both local and international, across a wide array of genres. This summer, we're taking time to sit down with some of these artists to talk about their process, their inspiration, the sounds that excite them, and what's to come. My name is Jenny Schlenska, and I'm the Associate Curator at MoMA PS1 New York, in charge of the warm-up and Sunday sessions programs. Today, I'm sitting down with Juliana Huxtable, the New York-based poet, artist, and DJ. Over the past couple of years, her work was shown at MoMA, MoMA PS1, the New Museum, the Whitney, the Museum of Contemporary Art in LA, and Freeze Projects in London. Juliana's work includes performance, photography, painting, poetry, and music. She is also founder of Shock Value New York City and a member of the House of Ladosha. <laughs> Hi, Juliana. Thank, Hi. <laughs> thank, thank you for being here with us today. Um, how's it going? It's going well. Um, I'm very excited that you're here in the studio at MoMA with us. And um, before we start talking about uh, music and the influence of music on your life and uh, your work, I wanted to say that our warm-up curator, Eliza Ryan, was supposed to be here today to do this interview with you. Eliza, unfortunately, cannot be here for personal reasons. Um, Eliza, we're sending you lots of love, and you're here in spirit. Let's go, maybe if we can, go back to the beginning, and I w wanted to know if you remember a moment where music became more than, you know, background or this thing you hear on the radio, like where you became conscious of what music means to you and what it can do? Um, I think music, music has always been kind of a, a central part of my life. Um, I mean, my, my dad, um, when we still had a functioning relationship growing up, my dad was a musician, mm -hmm. um, He was a jazz musician and, you know, and my mother was like, not a musician in the sense that she was in a band or something like that, but she was, uh, you know, she sang in the church choir and like it was, music was always kind of an essential part of my life growing up. And I, you know, I sang in the choir in church. I played piano um, and... I started making my, I started writing my own music when I was, like, younger. I would make songs on um, the piano or whatever. But I kind of, as I started to grow, you know, I would say maybe, like, towards the end of high school, I kind of, I felt like the ways that I was having a sort of active relationship with music were kind of insufficient, and so I abandoned them. Like, I abandoned, I stopped playing the piano. Obviously, once I graduated high school and went to college, I was no longer, like, in church or anything like that. And so my relationship to music kind of became one of more of a, a, a 
a spectator or or a consumer of music. Um, and I, I think in some ways that also happened with my um, art practice. Like I always wanted to be a, a painter and that was kind of what my, a painter and a poet, that's what I, growing up, that was, those were the two things that I wanted to be. And um, after high school, I kind of just like let those things fall to the wayside. And so I think that my sort of like personal and um, artistic growth in New York has kind of been like rediscovering ways to have a, um, to animate those relationships and for me to be able to like rediscover how I can use um, music, how I can use text, how I can use like, you know, even a very different idea of what art would be, but to kind of like work through these impulses that I have always been there. And um, what was the music you listened to growing up? A lot of gospel music. I loved gospel. I still listen to gospel music all the time. I think that's um, amongst my favorite types of music. If I could like break down my music library, it would be a lot of gospel, a lot of like um, female angry female vocalists like I was obsessed with like when I discovered like um like you know the Pacific Northwest kind of riot girly music I was like I, I was obsessed with that um a lot of southern hip-hop um and a lot of dance music and I discovered dance music when I was in I was like a Napster I I, ex I was ex I was growing up at the prime of kind of like Napster and LimeWire and um, just like digital music, kind of like peer-to-peer -peer sharing culture. And when the first album that really kind of... I, I remember I watched on TV and I saw Pure, Pure Disco and Pure Funk and I and I went to like Walmart and bought them. Um, and so I was like really fascinated with the 70s kind of idea of like dance music in Studio 54. But then one day at like, it was at Barnes and Nobles or at um, Borders when that still existed... Um, there was a dance compilation called Ultimate Dance Party, 1998. And it was like, I still think like one of the greatest like dance music compilations. And I, it totally blew my mind, like what dance music could make me feel. And like, um, I think dance music for me was a, a space of like, uh, where s sex and, um, gender and feminism and queerness were all ex so explicitly played out in the like lyrics um and so that kind of became a starting point for and then a napster i found out through everything like i really like dj dion um you know and like really nasty sexually explicit De detroit techno and kind of tacky german you know euro dance with like black women in latex as like the you know, lead singers or whatever, but... Kind of reminds me of the club night that you do, Shock Value. Mm -hmm. um, for those of us who's never been, what what's a Shock Value, the, a great Shock Value night? <laughs> what is it like? I put labor into all of the Shock Values, but my personal favorite is my birthday, um, beyond just narcissistic reasons. But it's like, because it's kind of, everyone that I love and it's kind of this because it's my birthday it's like so many different types of people will come to kind of indulge this moment and it kind of it's a lot of different types of people I kind of started as an experiment to see 
if I could take a sort of, you know, almost like, you know, the de- the same sort of desires that would make me want to, like, delve into, you know, a, a gender theory thesis or something. If I could, like, mutate these ideas and create a kind of, like, gender or post-gender something utopia, even if it was just for the night of a party. And, and so... I when I was doing it weekly, it was kind of an experiment. So I would book one broy DJ, um, two, and I always tried to stack the lineups um, from uh, performers to DJs and hosts. I had to stack the lineups in favor of gender, gender fluid, trans, and female identified people, but stacked in that direction, but with an emphasis on trying to, like, purposely push people that in my head were compatible but might not normally be brought together in that way. And so a dream shock value is, like, really diverse. I really loved when it was at the spectrum because that space was... um, It could go till 8 a.m. It was a space where there were no rules. If you wanted to get naked, you could get naked. If you wanted to fuck, you could fuck. If you wanted to do every drug, you could imagine you could probably purchase it and do it in the space and so it was kind of a space of uh gender utopia or at least something approximating that I don't think that ever can really exist but without the normal ramifications that come with that like you know uh the elitism and sort of economic the sort of classism of, like, the kink scene or, you know, a space that uh, normally, like, even me as a DJ, there are outfits that I'll wear to shock value. Like, I'll just wear mesh. I really like to, like, show off and be really peacocky about my body. And it's, you know, I've gone through a lot of stages with myself of, like, shame and, like, weird interventions. And so, to me, um, uh, shock value should be a space where anyone can sort of indulge their own relationship to their body. And so if I want to wear just mesh, I can just wear mesh and no one there, I'm not going to get groped. I'm not going to get weird comments. I'm not going to have someone follow me around the club and stare at me. It's just, it's it's a space where of like license and play. And I think paying attention to how you balance, you know, the different dynamics of the space, like where the space is and who the hosts are and like what the music is, you can kind of, you can really create um, a super sex positive um, experimental place. Is that also something that you'll try to um, bring into a DJ set when you play music to an audience? How do you prepare for DJ set? When I first started playing, I would over-prepare almost. Like, it was... Because, you know, I had less knowledge about music. I felt a bit less comfortable. And I think I was I was also thinking a, a bit more literally about, like, I need to prepare a set. And I knew, like... I knew at least for the first 20 songs, like, A to B to C to D. And now I, like... You know, I'll generally prepare and bring in songs that I, like... Or I might know, like, oh, I want to start off with this song. But it's become, now it's become much more about the experiment, the kind of experimentation and feeling it out. And it's, I think that my sets largely are kind of a combination of wanting to be kind of autobiographical in terms of like, like each set to me is a, it's a reflection of how I process the world and my personal past, but also about, um, what I would like to see and what I would like to ins- insist on or ask people um, 
to indulge because I think that D- I think DJing is a space where you don't have to think about it. I think it can be a space where, you know, it's literally just like beats and like melodies and sounds. And but I think it can also be a space of um, which I think is different about DJing coming from especially from a sort of like the history of like black music in America. Like if you look at an idea of what like Berlin techno is, which obviously, you know, sort of grew out from Detroit techno, like until recently, my relationship to that genre of techno, um, you know, it was fun, but it didn't really relate to me. It didn't speak to me in any sort of fundamental way um, because I think I was trying to map how I view and how I relate to music onto it. Um, I sort of had my breakthrough and I had a lot of fun, but I realized like there's just like different ways of processing music. And for me, the way that I process music and my relationship to DJing is it's like I have this space and you know, a lot of times, not everyone, but most of the people are probably in some state of intoxication. And that's a space that you can just write off as like unproductive, but is also, I think, people are really open and people's minds are really like impressionable and ways that they're not even processing. So in a lot of ways, I think it's kind of has a lot of potential, unutilized potential. And so to me, to take a set and overload with like female vocals or like a sample of just like a statement. Like I think I I, I really like taking like, you know, a Latigra sample or something and like looping it over and over and over and over and over again, even if it's just, you know, the affectation of like someone who doesn't know what the lyrics are saying or what it means. But if they hear that song in the future, all of this sort of like, you know, social kind of like minefield of references, I think you can unlock, you can unlock it in a lot of ways for people. And so I I try and do mostly like female vocalists. Um, and sometimes it's like, like different sets will be different experiments. Like there are times where I'm like, okay, I want to do, like I've been enjoying playing a lot of like industrial techno um, lately, like really, really hard aggro kind of noisy techno, but matching it up with, which is a very, uh, coded as like a really masculine, machinistic energy, but I really like pairing that with really aggressive, violent lyrics from like black, young black female rappers. Most like I like I love all of the young rappers that are coming out of Chicago right now, and not that I think that they're and it's really violent, and a lot of it like maybe reifies certain ideas of black on black violence. But I think most of them are doing it performatively, and I really like the idea of taking a space that would otherwise default to male and like overloading it with just like black women like going off and like talking about like whether it's sexual aggressiveness or like, you know, killing a group of men or whatever. It's really fun. It's kind of an experiment and I like it in that sense. It's like a... Um, Do you, you brought some tracks. Do you want to play us something that you... Um, I can play one of... So there's this one, this uh, Chicago rapper right now and her name is... Asian doll and I she's like 19 years old and I'm really love her and she's kind of she's been coming under she's come under a lot of uh not a lot of controversy so she's like a huge figure but within the sort of like Chicago rap scene when she does interviews um 
people like she she's it's kind of absurd she makes these videos and she has like huge guns and she's like touting these guns in her videos which I find problematic in a lot of ways but in that context I kind of like it because she does it as this like bravado almost just like ridiculous like way of just like sidestepping and just infuriating groups of men and it just like fuels her publicity and like her whole thing is like all of my haters are men and she'll just like go through in an interview and scroll through the comments or whatever and her lyrics are really uh kind of are really violent sometimes but um also kind of playful but i really like her she's also 19 so her lyrics are a bit immature but i just like i really like the energy Mashing that up with hard style is really nice because she's just so like bravado and like over the top and she's just like I don't know. I think she does a good job of doing what I think most female rappers do, which is this sort of just like it's like the whole song is about her and like this like idea that there's this like group of all of these like really pretty, super hardcore like girls. But it's also kind of against other women in a lot of ways. But I think she does a good job of balancing that with like these like dismissive references um, to men and then she, when she's talking about this guy giving her her head and then like rolling her hand down his like fade you know I just, I just I really love it and I think it's um, I don't know I think playing that in ways that and also just like I think one thing that only women in hip hop have really been able for me like it's just it's this like source of like such authoritative power and it and in a lot of ways it it just codes something that has been so masculine and remains seen as so masculine and it just make I, I love it I think it's so playful the way you talk about it for someone who is not DJing and um it's really like collage like you you collaging genders and desires and sexuality in creating this new space Do you, may I ask you um, to play some gospel too, or is that? Oh, yeah. I also like playing gospel in, that, in a club context because I think gospel music is kind of, it's people really don't know how to understand it that don't actually relate to it. Like when I was in school at Bard and I would play gospel music, they're like, why are you playing this? You're endorsing evangelism. And I'm just like, mm, black gospel music isn't really the same thing as like Billy Graham a Billy Graham conference in, like, you know, Indonesia where they're, like, brainwashing people. It's, like, not that it's not related, but it's coming from a different spiritual place and, like, you know, liberation theology and all of that. And I think it's really powerful, and I think the music is actually just, like, brilliant. Oh, my, one of my favorite Kirk Franklin songs. Correct me if I'm wrong, but gospel is also historically a place of um, political music, mm -hmm. black po political music. It's just now that it's become very um, 
whitewashed and well it's 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 interesting because that that kind of started clean. to happen when I was in and when I was in high school it's that the history of gospel music has been it's, it's super loaded and even these albums still like you know most of the songs are like really intense they're like songs that like you know if like when I'm like really dealing with something kind of overwhelming or overbearing I'll listen to gospel and I can just like break into tears and kind of it's it's a lot of it is about like black pain a lot of it is about like black burdens and it's not it's never explicit. It's all kind of poetic, but like you just know the references. Like it's like there are songs that like you know are for single mothers, and there's songs for like people who are losing like you know their kids or in prison, and like the songs deal with all of that. Um, but what happened with gospel music? Really, in like I think that the early two thousands was kind of when it started to happen. Was as you got black megastars like Kirk Franklin or BB and CC Winans or, you know, Hezekiah Walker. You get these. The gospel kind of became, um, and it was fetishized by white evangelicals, and then they basically promoted, and these megachurches started incorporating black music into white megachurches, and it kind of became, and like Bishop T.D. Jakes and George Bush is kind of the most explicit example of that kind of cooperation, but, and that it's weird kind of to see black gospel music be, I think, co-opted by uh, white evangelicals when historically black churches have functioned independently and party affiliation voting and all economically totally independent of white churches it's it's also the music of um community which obviously is very important to you Mm -hmm. in in um in the club nights but also you you you're part of a collective house of Mm -hmm. ladosha and all the members do make music Am I correct? Every correct? most people, most of the, I would say half of the collective actually does music. Um, like Antonio and Adam do music. Um, I do music. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about who House of Ladosha mm-hmm. is and what role it played in your? So becoming? that's my, that's like my family basically. Like I, it's well. It's funny because um, the house is like a really large, it's like an expansive group of people, but primarily the name House of Ladosha is associated, for a really long time was associated with Adam and Antonio Lefim Ladosha and Kunti Crawford Ladosha, and they performed as House of Ladosha. And that I actually first met, I actually first met them because I booked them to play at Bard, because um, I was booking shows at Bard, and I really loved their music and then I moved to New York and solely from going out I mean they performed at Bard but they you know they didn't really know me and then we became friends through seeing each other on like dance floors and then we started to hang out and it just kind of naturally I became a part of this network and it's a group of people that um that's kind of how it always happens. It's just a sort of like natural sort of connection that ends up happening. And then we have like holidays and dinners and trips and like, you know, it's, and then also all of the other things that you associate with family. And so like, I spend like Christmas with like a lot of people from the house and, um, it's modeled after the houses of the ballroom scene. Um, loosely, although that's more of like a, like a, like kind of like a loose nod or homage. It's not so, uh, 
it's not as literal. I think it's more fluid than that because it's a, we're all people that didn't we didn't grow up in like the ballroom community. We all grew up in other parts of America and came to New York. And although now, you know, through nightlife, I know like so many people in the ballroom community, and we've done things at different balls and stuff like that. It's like a different sort of it's a different sort of relationship. Um, it, But the idea is a chosen family, mm-hmm. like a, a chosen structure. kind of like queer kinship, kind of. I wanted to ask you about where you see the political potential in music. Well, I th- I think music for a really long time for qu- black people, um, for queer people, um, for. Yeah, I think it's always been. There were large periods of time historically where that's really all that, all that they had. So I think that um, it's kind of like I think it was actually like as sometimes Kanye West, as ridiculous as he is, I think he sometimes says like kind of profound things. But he said something about he was just like you know music is one of the few things that black people have that's the one thing that like they can't really you know you can get a justin timberlake here or there but ultimately there's no way to recreate the dynamism the authenticity the sort of platform that black people have created and used the music and it's one of the only things that you have and it's one of the it's consistently one of the few spaces where you get people that are you know have no education no other means of access and music becomes this sort of like this like pathway and I think that it's the history similarly for queer people I think in a different way maybe not as much so so much so like uh narrative you know kind of like Uh, personality focused as like hip hop in a lot of ways, but I think for queer people, dance music has dance music has been really important at different times. But different genres of music have been, you know, important at different times. And so, like, you know, like when I was in school, I kind of I listened to dance music a lot, but you know, it was also the time where me and all of my friends were discovering you know, feminism and just like, and like our sort of like activist identities. And so at that time, what felt the most, you know, radical was going to like a show, going to like a, a, a punk show or like going to something more traditionally, maybe even coded as like white spaces of like, you know, female angst or something. And that seemed like kind of what was really radical and really necessary. And um, even my ideas of racial kind of, Well, a racial, uh, a sort of like an idea of racial aggression or energy or something translated to music, I think that I was would be more drawn to like something like Death Grips, which some people might not think of as like a racial or gendered enterprise. But to me, the way that I relate to, and I, it, I mean, at times it's explicit, but, um, and, but I think right now in New York, um, club clubs and like dance music and that culture is kind of a radical space now and so I think someone who is 22 years old who might have otherwise been going to shows you know what I mean is like now are going to clubs because I think it's a it's a place where people are organizing where people are expressing things where people are meeting each other and it's kind of that's just what's happening and I don't I think that probably won't last forever I'm sure at some point it's all going to get, you know, co-opted and 
into something else. But I think right now it's like really important, especially racially, like so much of the the relationship between music and race and protest right now is happening like on SoundCloud and stuff like that. Thank you, Juliana. Before we end, tell us about your upcoming plans. I have, my book is coming out, a book of my writing, um, just like a kind of up-to-date a collection of my writing is coming out in October. And Great. so that's what I'm working on right now. Um, and then I'm doing, I have a show in February, a solo show, and I'm doing two Where? performances in the meantime. Where's the show? Um, at Rena Spallings. Great. Well, um, that's fantastic. We'll look out for the book and come to the show. Thank you so much for taking out time to join us and performing at MoMA PS1's warm-up this year. My name is Jenny Schlenska and I'm here with Juliana Huxtable. This has been the warm-up.